Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast, Seen, Known, and Loved. I'm Catherine, I'm your host. Happy February. I'm sitting outside on this beautiful sunny day, mid-February, just enjoying this fresh air and so thankful for so many things. And most importantly, I'm thankful for you that you're listening today. I'm so glad that you've joined me and we're going to be talking about known, how much we are known by God. In the first episode, we talked about love, God's radical love for all his children. And then we talked about being seen last month and how he is Elroy, God who sees us. He sees everything we're going through and he doesn't miss a beat. So again, today, jump in with me as we talk about being known. We're going to dive into the scriptures, study a little bit more about what it means to be known by God and really let that sink in. So let's pray together. Father, we just come to you right now. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for knowing and loving us so intimately. I pray everyone receives just a measure of that faith to believe that you do love them and you care for them so much. And let that just overflow in their hearts and lives, bring so much hope and expectancy in what you are going to do next. We give you this time. We love and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so like I said today, we're going to be talking about known. Known. What does it mean to be known by God? Let's dive into that word known and see what it means in Hebrew. Well, in Hebrew, it means yada. It means intimately known. I've heard it said that intimacy can be described as into you I see. Okay, so what are we known for? And how does God know us? Well, I'm glad you asked. He knows all the days are written before one of them came to be. He knows every hair on your head. He knows in Psalms 139 that he has made you fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb. He has woven you together and you are intricately and wonderfully made is what another version says. Now, I have a funny inside joke about the hairs on our head. You know, ladies, how you get those stray hairs kind of a little bit drier in the front and the flyaways, I guess you could call them, and you may pluck one here and there. Well, whenever I do that, I think, okay, Lord, what number is that? How many hairs are on my head now? And we just laugh together because it's just so true. And I think that's how much God wants us to be known by him and to know that he cares about the hairs on our head, how many there are. He cares about the birds of the air. How much more does he care about us? So I just love thinking about that. All right. So back to Psalms 139, fearfully and wonderfully made. It's amazing to think the God, the creator of you and me is so infinite and full of wisdom beyond our understanding that he can make billions of people and not one single person is alike that just blows my mind i know you're thinking Catherine. what about maternal twins but even maternal twins have their differences so he knows our making he knows the product of us he knows the ins and outs of us what else does he know about us he knows our struggles our hardships the things that weigh us down The things we try to hide, he knows the mask that we wear, saying everything is fine when it's not. You know the saying, I'm fine, you're fine, we're all fine. But God wants us to be more than fine. It's no surprise that we fall into that trap because that's what happened with Adam and Eve. You see, in the book of Genesis, 
it talks about the creation of man. Adam was created, and then Eve was created from Adam, and they were placed in a garden called the Garden of Eden. They had everything at their fingertips they could ever imagine or hope for. One day, the serpent came to Eve and tempted her. You see, God had told them that they could eat of any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if they eat of that tree, they will surely die. Well, it wasn't a physical death, but it was going to be a spiritual death, knowing way much more than God ever intended them to know. So Eve took the bait. She enticed her husband. He ate of the apple. And the next thing you know, the fallen man came. (laughs) So they um, were naked and they hid. They were afraid. And God was walking in the cool of the day, but one thing was missing. He didn't have them. He called out and said, Adam, where are you? Adam said, we were naked and afraid, so we hid. God said, who told you you were naked? So you see, God knows the lies that we've believed about ourselves all of our lives. What else does God know about us? He sees the future us we are becoming. God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He can see the beginning from the end. All the days are written before one of them ever came to be. That should excite us because He sees the future us. We see our hang-ups. We see our shortcomings. But God sees the us that He is making us to be. That sanctification work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives that we don't always love. That He's making us more into the image of Christ. See your loved one not saved, but He sees your loved one saved. Maybe you see not healed and he sees you healed and whole. Shalom. If you're weighted down with shackles, he sees those shackles being broken off of your life as you put your faith and trust in Jesus, his son. It says in Hebrews that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its sin and shame and sat down at the right hand of the father. For the joy set before him. Well, what was that joy? It was you and me. He took all sin, all shame. Gosh, we can't even begin to imagine the darkness that he experienced because he took it all so that we may have life of abundance, life to its fullest. And you can find that verse in John 10, 10. Now, it also reminds me of a verse that I love in Psalms 103. It's the fivefold benefits of the cross. And it goes to say that because of the cross of Jesus, he forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. He crowns us with love and compassion that our youth is renewed like the eagles. And he satisfies our desires with good things. Come on with good things. God is for us. Yes, this life can be tough, but God is for us. Let that sink down in your hearts today. So with talking about known, I'm sure many of you are waiting for the famous verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper, not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Praise God for that verse. I love it. And I claim it over my family, over my life often, because that's the plans that God does have for us. And the context of this verse is the Israelites were in captivity by the Egyptian rule for the last 70 years. They were under oppression, under hardship, under slavery. They did what they could, and all they knew was to be slaves. And yet they knew because of their ancestors, because of the stories they've heard, because of the Torah that they read back in the day. They knew because of God's word that God was supposed to come and bring healing and hope and bring the Messiah Jesus, but they were waiting. So God puts 
this verse in the prophet Jeremiah's heart. And he says, speak this to my people. And again, I will share it with you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Let's break that verse down a little further. Let's dive into what some of these words mean. The word prosper is the word shalom in Hebrew. It primarily means peace, but it also has the meanings perfect, whole, complete, prosperity, wealth, health, and safety. It is far more than just the absence of conflict and strife. It encompasses the entire range of well-being. Therefore, it includes spiritual and physical completeness, harmony, and fulfillment. I love how the Jewish people when Jesus walked on the earth, would greet each other saying, Shalom, Shalom. And they probably still do it today. I just don't know. But that means, I hope you are whole and well and at peace. I love that. Now, this is a peace that surpasses all understanding, right? It's a Philippians 4, 7 kind of peace. It says that do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, we can bring our request to God in the peace that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus promises us, us, his children, that he's going to give us a peace that we can't understand, that surpasses all circumstances, but he promises that as we petition and bring our requests to him, that peace is there. So maybe your circumstances aren't panning out the way that they're supposed to, or you're just going through a really hard time right now. I've got some good news for you, friend, because as you put your hope and faith in Jesus and fix your eyes on Jesus, it says he is the author and perfecter of our faith. He went on to endure the cross for us. So he is the author. He's written all our days and he's the perfecter. He continues to strengthen us and call us to greater faith and build our lives in him. He says, come to greater heights with me because I have good plans for you, good intentions for you. Now, let's dive into just a few stories real quick, and let's talk about no other but the woman at the well. So, you can find this verse in John 4, 7. Jesus went through Samaria because he knew there was a lady there that needed to encounter the divine and needed to know that God knew about her. In fact, God knew everything she ever did and had eyes full of compassion and love as he shared the truth with her. Wow, God knew, he went, he knew what she was dealing with. Just all throughout that story, it just reminds me of how much God knows and how much God sees and how much God cares. So in verse 7, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So backstory real quick. The Samaritan woman, from what I understand, she went in the noontime day, and this was a time when nobody else would go because it was the hottest time of the day. So she went because she did not want any other people to see her and probably especially women because she had a history of having several husbands or several lovers. And so she just carried a lot of shame with her as she went up to this well and she didn't want anybody to see her that day. But how many of you know that she was about to encounter the one that could change her life, change the course of her life. So in verse 9 it says, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, t- go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but the Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Wow, doesn't that fire y'all up? Oh my goodness, to think about this woman and the encounter she had. So then it goes on to say, at this time, the disciples rejoined Jesus. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? They knew better than that at this point in their journey. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town, made their way toward him. Praise God. That was like the first evangelical worship leader. She worshiped Jesus. She went and shared the good news about everything that she ever did, but she didn't do it in shame. The shame was gone as she encountered Jesus, as she drank of the living water, the living well. She was forever changed. So Jesus knew the woman, knew the thirst in her soul. See, I want to bet that this woman was looking for love and acceptance from man. Why else would she have had so many lovers? Now, that's just my take on it, but you take it however you want. Jesus knew her heart stirred day after day, waiting for the one who was called the Messiah. Or just when she decided this is as good as it gets, Jesus traveling the distance out of his way to meet her quenched a thirst that would never run dry again. That he wants to do that in my life and your life too. He wants to fill us abundantly beyond what we can imagine. Over to overflow with his peace, his joy, his love, his hope, his purpose, his vision. And ultimately to become witnesses of what miraculous things God has done in us. And we are then called to go out into the world and bear witness. Just as the woman at the well who went and told everybody in the town, Come and meet this man that told me everything I ever did. Could he be the long-awaited Messiah? Thousands of years later, just like that woman at the well, Jesus shows up in our life. Maybe he meets you at the kitchen sink. Maybe he meets you on the treadmill. Maybe he meets you walking with a friend. Maybe he meets you while you're taking a break at work and you feel like this day is just really hard. I hope this word encourages you and that you just sense and feel the breath of life 
that he is giving you a drink right now. He's given you an invitation where you'll never be thirsty again. Just drink it in. Drink all of who he is because he is God who knows you intimately, passionately, and he has good intentions and plans for your life. All right. Amazing story, right? Well, do y'all have time for one more? I guess if you don't, you can turn me off. But if I want to take you to one more story in the Old Testament. It's the story of the Shunanite woman. If y'all are familiar with her, she's the woman. She was very wealthy. She had a husband. She didn't really have anything that she was asking anybody for. She was satisfied. Elijah came to visit in the town quite often. She knew he was a man of God, so she wanted to honor him, and she made a room for him in her upstairs. Um, she gave him a bedroom. She gave him room and board, just honoring him in that way. Well, he wanted to repay her. He repaid her with a son. She didn't ask for him. She even said, don't get my hopes up. But he persisted, and he said, by this time next year when I return, you'll be pregnant with a son. She had a son. He had a headache in his preteen years, and he ended up passing away. She was so distraught. She went straight to Elijah and said, man of God, didn't I tell you, do not get my hopes up. And of course, Elijah was like, what's going on? God has kept me from knowing this. And she told him what happened to her son. So he followed her back to the house. He ended up restoring her son to life. And this is the part that I want to pick up on. So we are going to be in Second Kings. Now Elijah said to the woman whose son had been restored to life, Go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. The woman proceeded to do as the man of God had said. She and her family went away and stayed in the land of the Philistines seven years. At the end of the seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and went to appeal to the king for her house and land. The king was talking to Gehazi, the servant and the man of God, and had said, Tell me all about the great things Elijah has done. Just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elijah had restored the dead to life, the woman whose son Elijah had brought back to life came to appeal to the king for her house and land. Gehazi said, This is the woman, my lord, the king, and this is her son, whom Elijah restored to life. The king asked the woman about it, and she told him. Then he assigned an official to her case and said to him, Give back everything that belonged to her, including all the income from her land from the day she left her country until now. You see, God knew the woman's need before she even appealed to the king. Out of this part of the story, it so encourages me because before the woman even had to speak a word out of her mouth of what she needed, the king already knew it, just as our King Jesus already knows exactly what we need. He just wants us to come to him, spend time with him, talk to him, and share what's on our heart. God knows what you've lost. God knows what you're longing for. God knows what you thirst for. Throughout scripture, it talks about how God restores. There's a verse where it says he restores the years the locusts have eaten. There's a verse in Jeremiah where it's all about a chapter of restoration of God's people. As we put our hope and trust in him and cling to his promises, he will restore the years that have been lost and bring beauty from ashes because he knows you and he loves you and he sees you. And I so hope this encourages you today. God is a God of restoration. God is a God of hope and healing. 
Be encouraged that he has plans to prosper you, not harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. You are known. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows all the days ordained for you before one of them were written. He is your author. He is your perfecter. And he is going to see you through. This wraps up our episode on being known, how much we are known by God. I pray this blesses you today, and I pray that you enjoy this beautiful springtime that is to come. A little bit sunnier, the flowers are blooming, more people outside walking, the days are longer, and we look forward to meeting again with you next time. Thank you so much, and I hope you know how much you are seen, known, and loved by God. Have a blessed day.